brought to you by Reuters Plus Content Studios, sponsored by Mazda. Hello and welcome to Future Energy Talks with me, Andrew Wilson. About two billion people do not have access to safe drinking water and as climate change affects the world's water supplies, from droughts to floods and rising sea levels, we need action clearly to combat water scarcity. We look into this complex problem next. This year, we've seen the direct effects of climate change in the form of extreme weather events. As global temperatures rise, so does the amount of moisture the atmosphere can hold, resulting in more storms and unpredictable heavy rains. Paradoxically, this also creates more intense dry spells, creating an ever-increasing cycle of drought and floods. Poor drinking water and sanitation affect some 650 million people worldwide. That's one in ten of the world's population, putting those people at risk of infectious diseases and premature death. Drinking contaminated water kills more than 1.6 million people on average each year, and a quarter of those deaths are children under the age of five. Risks are particularly high after flooding, as untreated water can enter the system in disaster-stricken areas. Joining us from Singapore now is David Pong, CEO and co-founder of Waterome, an NGO that offers a cost-effective water filtration system to communities in flood-hit areas and rural areas without a fresh water supply. David, welcome. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. A pleasure. Thanks for having me here. First of all, give us an idea about Waterome, how it started. I think we're talking about 2014, aren't we? You started with some friends and colleagues. What was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so Waterroom started when we were first in the undergraduate days in our university, and we had a lot of opportunities to go and conduct volunteer trips to regional, the region, and the uh, to do community projects. And when we are in some of these countries where we encounter rural communities, uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, impression that I had was always about their drinking water condition. So there was a particular village where I went and I witnessed how a mother took out a clear plastic bottle of water and that water was yellow in colour and she was about to give it to her baby and her child to drink. So I went and asked her, why is it that your water is this condition? And she said that she had to go to the river to collect it and there's no other water source. Uh, I saw that her child would have issues regarding stunted growth and also the inability to attend school regularly. And this is not just one case, but it is all across many of such rural communities. And that's why when we uh, saw this condition, we reflected on how privileged we are here in Singapore, especially with direct access to tap drinking water supply. And we saw that Singapore was a technology hub for water. We, we felt the very strong need that we had to do something about this for the community around us. So that's why we started Waterroom with the intention to develop portable water filtration systems that provide communities in rural and disaster-hit communities with access to safe drinking water. So talk about the kit and the set. First of all, what is the extent of your operation now, nearly 10 years on? Well, we're thankful to have uh, our solutions deployed all across uh, 43 countries for 250,000 people. And we know that there's so much more to do because this is a global problem with 2.2 billion people that still have access 
issues to safe drinking water. And so we are doing our best to extend our distribution networks, but there's so much more to do even as we achieve our 40 countries that we have exposed our solutions to. So D David, in a nutshell, how significant is the water crisis that the planet is facing today? The water crisis is very significant. 2.2 billion people in the world today still do not have access to safely manage water. And this means that they don't have access to clean drinking water. Many of these communities, adults and especially children, are forced to drink fecally contaminated water. This causes them to have diarrhea, dysentery on a daily basis, and that affects them in their day-to-day -day livelihoods, their ability to have education, and their ability to live a well-being and holistic life. Less than 3% of climate financing is going into water sector today. Uh, this is an issue because we are not being able to raise up the innovations, scale up the innovations to reach out to the wider population across the world. And so what we really need is to have collective action across governments, private sectors, innovators, and multilaterals. In your travels, David, you must have been to any number of regions where people have these problems, even crises with their water, sanitation, and supply. How does it affect you? What's your takeaway going to these regions as often as you must do? So... I think oftentimes what we do see is that many of these communities, uh, they, because of the lack of access to safe drinking water, they're drinking fecally contaminated water, which would cause especially children to face diarrhea, uh, even bloody diarrhea on a daily basis. This affects them in their ability to go to school and eventually affects their ability to have a good livelihood and in effect, causes them to be stuck in that poverty cycle where they cannot afford basic commodity like water and be able to live a healthy life that will allow them to achieve their dreams. So what we see is an issue not just of the lack of safe drinking water, but an entire life full of potential that is not being able to be met with the full ability to achieve their dreams and their potential. So what we want to do is to allow many of these communities to re be restored in terms of their hope for the future, a better livelihood, better opportunities in for their children, for their families, to have better relationships in their, in their homes when they're not struggling with trying to get access to clean water. And so it's talking about an entire holistic well-being for many of these communities. And that's where, what we're trying to do here at Water Room, not just by providing safe drinking water for as an end, but to improve many of these lives and their holistic well-being altogether. I mean, there's, a, there's an enormous scientific element to that. Of course there is. But also there's a personal, a human element to that as well. What keeps you going? Uh, I think this mission about water is so important to me, uh, especially uh, because here in Singapore, every, every uh, person is very well acquainted with how we are uh, considered a water insecure uh, country. We have always, since our independence, been very concerned about uh, ensuring our water supply is sure and is secure. So that upbringing has allowed us to constantly think that water is something that's precious and is something that everyone in humanity should have access to. Uh, what 
keeps me going is to know that today in the world, there are still so many hundreds of millions of people who don't have access to this same vital life supply that we do have the privilege to. And I want to ensure that the rest of the world get this same privilege and same access to safe drinking water. And that's what keeps us going every single day. I just want to have one a second look at the equipment as well. I can see one behind you on the shelf. It's like a bicycle pump, isn't it? I mean, tell me how it works. So we got this inspiration when we were looking at a person pumping his bicycle in the village with a bicycle pump. And that was an aha moment for us because we thought, why not we incorporate this intuitive action and this universally understood action of a bicycle pump with water filtration membranes? So eventually, our first prototype for this um, model was to have a bicycle-powered water filtration membrane. So how it works is every time you pull up the piston, it draws a column of water from a hose that's placed in the river, well, or stream. And once you push down, there's a valve that prevents the water from flowing back in the river, but instead it goes through membranes and a chamber inside the uh, filter that allows the water to be pushed through this membrane, uh, forcing bacteria, virus, and protozoa to be held behind while water is able to be pushed through. And what we are able to get is a clean drinking water supply for an entire community of 100 people within a very small and compact 2.5 kg system. And how do people respond when they're shown this equipment and they've had all these problems with their water supply and they're shown how to use the equipment and they understand that it works? How do they respond? I think one of the most memorable uh, times that we experienced was when we first brought our prototype down to Cambodia in one of the villages and we stood next to a well and started to pump the water from the well into the system and filter the water and produce uh, clear drinking water. Uh, the first few people that came were so excited to see that they finally they had clear drinking water and they brought all their pails and buckets over. But what surprised us even more is that word of mouth got around to all the neighbouring villages and many of them started to call all the neighbours and communities to bring their pails and buckets as well. And we had a very long line of people starting to queue up for access to safe drinking water. That's when we got so encouraged that this is something that works. This is something that people acknowledge is important for their lives and they're queuing up for it. Now, Waterome has already won a string of prestigious awards, including the 2022 Zayed Sustainability Prize in the water category. Has all this acknowledgement made a difference to your operation? Yes, definitely. So the Zayat Sustainability Prize is an international award that recognizes global innovations that have contributed substantially to the sustainability and uh, climate change. So where we come in is to be recognized from this international standpoint, and that really helped us to have a lot of international awareness as well as partnerships that has been formed. So for example, today we've been able to reach out to Latin America as well as Africa 
uh, all the way from Singapore because we have uh, awareness that has been derived out of this uh, in, uh, sustainability price. So beyond that, we also see a lot of collaboration with MNCs that are looking to help us improve our financing, our carbon financing models that will allow, allow us to tap into greater sources of uh, financing and business models to uh, bring forth a lot more innovation onto the ground. So there's been a lot of this international awareness that really strengthened the cost and scale up our solution. I mean, I imagine that builds something of a, a community around the work that you do, but how does that work? Does it work simply like a, a, a traditional business plan where you get more investors or has it created partnerships with NGOs or with local government or with other wider organisations? How does it, how has it developed? So what we've done is uh, we have worked with more than 60 over international NGOs, humanitarian organizations. And what happens is we often have to do local partnerships whereby they deploy our solutions on behalf of us. Uh, they are the ones who engage the community, educate the community and allow them to be uh, efficient in the understanding of water, sanitation and hygiene. Uh, to advocate for the importance of this and then to showcase how the solution is able to be adapted, adopted into their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, the integration of solutions into their day-to-day -day lives is essential because if we are just providing a cool technology to them, it may be something that is uh, nice to have for a few days, but if it is not something that can integrate into their day-to-day -day lives over years, that would be an issue. So that's where building the community of partners that regularly engage with our local communities, that's very important to allow innovation to be adopted on a day-to-day -day basis for such communities. COP28 coming up in the UAE in November, another round of important discussions. What part of the agenda uh, in the UAE will you be looking at closest? Well, since water is the closest to our heart, I'll speak on behalf of the water sector. So I think firstly, what's most important is uh, we want to see how climate financing can be channeled towards a greater degree in the water sector. Today, we are seeing only just 3% of climate financing channeled into the water sector to improve SDG number six on water and sanitation. So we want to see how that can be uh, further unlocked, whereby we have much more climate and sustainability finance provided towards the water sector through innovative financing mechanisms and also encouragement of greater set of different financing tools, loans that can be opened up for the water sector. I think on the second point, What's important is we talk about the value of water. There's a lot of uh, underpricing of water going on in the world today. And what we want to elevate to the international level and to have further discussion on COP28 is how to value water in a manner that would allow much more efficient management and use of water. And finally, I think what would be exciting is to see how more infrastructure and larger scale projects uh, from private and public sector partnerships can be done in order to tackle much more water issues. And we hope that COP28 can be a platform where all these synergies will come together and provide a lot more progress in the water space. I mean, that's a much bigger umbrella you're talking about there. I mean, the UN Sustainable Development Goals are very clear about their ambitions for clean water for the entire planet. Uh, are you optimistic that we're moving forward with the SDGs? I mean, you've got your area, but the planet's a big place. 
Yeah, uh, I'm definitely optimistic that more innovations can be derived out of uh, young innovators as well as the universities all around the world because there's a lot of uh, innovation uh, coming in uh, in regards to sustainability and climate. But I think what is the challenge is that we do see from reports such as the joint monitoring uh, a report from the WHO and UNICEF that says that unless the world increases our investments in water by three to six times, it would be very difficult for us to achieve those 2030 SDG goals. So what we see that is of rapid importance is for a collective action from governments to private sector, to innovators, to multilaterals, that all of us can come together and take very strong political will to get this message across and to get the work of climate change and especially in the water sector, the water crisis to be addressed as quickly as possible. I think it's very possible from the innovation perspective that if we have sufficient financing, if we open up channels and innovative ways to unlock financing mechanism for new innovations that can be scaled up, we can see a much more effective way of addressing many of the water crisis and climate issues all around the world. So it really boils down to how fast we can unlock such financing for innovation. So David, from those partnerships that have grown around something like Waterome, what about governments? What could they be doing to step up their legislation and also their direct action on problems with water, water supply and sanitation? I think there are a lot of uh, multiple approaches that government can help uh, in this area. So firstly, is government should uh, provide more incentives and a conducive environment for innovations and entrepreneurship to thrive and allow many of this climate-related innovation to find its uh, platform and ability to scale up much more effectively without too much hindrance. Uh, second is to have more collective action towards uh, improving policies that would enable uh, much more conservation and proper management of water supply. Uh, today, as mentioned, we have an issue when it comes to the value of water, uh, underpricing of water. So it is important that there is a proper allocation of how much water is priced at and also in terms of how different industries are able to manage their water footprint more effectively. Yeah, and David, what are your plans for water roam? Keep at it the way you are or do you have plans for upscaling or expansion? I mean, for us, uh, it's always been about going global, going international and ensuring that every corner of our uh, world can have access to water drinking supply, which is what our, the name of the company, Water Roam, is about. We want to provide clean drinking water wherever anybody roams. So what we are trying to do right now is to ensure that our distribution channel can go further uh, places in the world to deepen our efforts in Africa, in Latin America, in the Middle East and India. Uh, what we are also trying to do is to ensure that our manufacturing capacities and our costs can be reduced so that we can be able to provide much more affordable access to safe drinking water. And David, when people talk about the COP talks, particularly over the years, they've always thought of it in terms of legislation and government policy and, uh, and changing the way that societies are organised. But what you and I have talked about today is innovation and entrepreneurship. Now, those are different words. Do you think that those are the more important skills we need to develop in our communities uh, to achieve a greener and safer future? I think definitely it is 
innovation and entrepreneurship is key to unlocking the ability for us to tackle climate change in a much more rapid fashion uh, if we are to try to uh, increase the multitude of progress that we are making in terms of hitting those SDG goals. It is about ensuring that effective innovations get the opportunity to scale. And we don't just do old things the old way, but really the new things in a way that would be unimaginable to how we can conceive it today. Uh, we need to figure out how to ensure that we can scale up such technologies and innovation so that we can uh, ramp up the progress that we have towards climate change. David, fascinating talking to you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. David Pong there from Waterome, making a real difference to water security in flood-affected areas and beyond. If you'd like to explore the solutions and innovations enabling the energy transition, then take a look at the other episodes in our series. I'm Andrew Wilson, and this is Future Energy Talks. Episodes streaming now. Brought to you by Reuters Plus Content Studios. Sponsored by Mazda.